would take out your Bibles and turn with me to the book of Isaiah. We're going to be in Isaiah chapter 9 for the next four weeks. As we turn to God's Word, let's turn to Him once again in prayer. Almighty God, our Heavenly Father, we thank You for being with us here now through Your Word and by Your Spirit. So Father, we pray that You would open our hearts to Your Word and open your word to our hearts, that we would know what we are to believe about you and what duty you require of your people. And Father, as we do our duty, help us to do it with a humble reliance upon Christ. Father, may your word before us be our rule, your Holy Spirit be our teacher, and your greater glory be our supreme concern. Through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. I'm sure most of you have favorites, favorite places, favorite seasons, favorite songs, favorite people, favorite vacations. I I would bet that all of you probably, if pushed and pressed, have a favorite movie. Well, I have a favorite movie also, I think, and, and it comes around about this time every year. In fact, I've already discovered that it's coming on next Saturday night on NBC. I watch it pretty much every year. It never gets old. Um, It was made in 1946. It was a Hollywood Christmas drama film. I'm sure most of you may be familiar with it. It's a wonderful life. It's a wonderful life. I think I really like it because of the younger brother who's the Navy guy, but um, it's a great, great uh, movie. And and the main character is, is George Bailey, who on Christmas Eve... For those of you familiar with the story, he's preparing to end his life until he is rescued. His guardian angel, Clarence, you may recall, shows up and shows George Bailey all the lives he has influenced and the contributions he has made to life in Bedford Falls. In other words, Clarence counsels George. And as a result of believing his counsel, George realizes that though he wasn't able to travel all around the world as he had originally hoped to do, he nonetheless had led a wonderful life. George does not die. George lives. Counseling. Counseling. He listened to counseling. I was reading a book, Counsel from the Cross, by Elise Fitzpatrick, and in her chapter, Gospel-Centered Counseling, this is what she writes. We live in the age of the counselor. It's not much of a question anymore whether people will get counseling at some time or another. The question is what kind of counseling they'll get. There are all sorts of counseling methods out there, some that claim to be Christian, others that bear the label biblical. Some don't bother with those terms at all. But every one of them has foundational beliefs about what is wrong with people and how they can be helped. So counseling today is popular. It's popular. But it's not only popular, it's everywhere. There's almost a ubiquity of counseling, books on counseling. Um, Anytime there's a tragedy, 
counselors are available. Our text this morning speaks of counseling as it mentions the name Wonderful Counselor. Here we are at the beginning of what's in a name, the fourfold name of King Jesus. It's a familiar Advent, a familiar Christmas text, and those of you that are familiar with Handel's Messiah may even recall there is a a, uh, a song or a piece uh, that's dedicated just to this passage from Isaiah 9, 6, for unto us a child is born. Well, join with me now as I read verses 1 through 7 of Isaiah 9, and we'll spend time in 6 and 7. But there will be no gloom for her who was in anguish. In the former time he brought into contempt the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali. But in the latter time he has made glorious the way of the sea, the land beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the nations." The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in a land of deep darkness, on them light has shined. You have multiplied the nation. You have increased its joy. They rejoice before you as with joy at the harvest. And they are glad when they divide the spoil. For the yoke of his burden and the staff for his shoulder, the rod of his oppressor, you have broken as on the day of Midian. For every boot of the tramping warrior in battle tumult and every garment rolled in blood will be burned as fuel for the fire. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulders, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and of peace, there will be no end. On the throne of David and over his kingdom, to establish it and to uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. Isaiah is a prophet writing in the 8th century BC, some 700 years before the birth of Christ. And the twin themes of this magnificent book is the coming judgment, but also the coming salvation. As I mentioned earlier, it's been called a fifth gospel. For the New Testament, every author uses Isaiah directly or indirectly. Now, as you heard that passage being read, who is is Isaiah talking about? Is he talking about the king of Judah? Is he talking about the king of Israel? Or is he calling about, talking about a ruler to come? In verse 6, you will see what's known as Hebrew parallelism. You see a child is born, a son is given. You see a child is born emphasizing the human and a son is is given, emphasizing the divine, as we're familiar with John 3.16, for God so loved the world that he gave. And these four royal names that we just heard express divine and human qualities, giving assurance that he indeed is Emmanuel, God with us. Notice, as in in verse 7, there's a progression. There's... 
It's progressive. There's an increasing. There's a perpetual or an eternal, with no end, peace, righteousness, and justice. There's a progressive, perpetual peace. It's increasing. It will have no end, this government, this peace that rests upon the shoulders of the one who is called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. And notice if this all sounds impossible, how could this happen? Listen to how verse 7 ends. The zeal, the passion, the urgency of the Lord of hosts will do this. God's power and purpose coming from his heart. And children, this is a helpful time to stop and remember how to understand the Old Testament and the New Testament. One book. Remember, it's all about promises. Promises made in the Old Testament, and we see in the New Testament, promises kept. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. Well, we're going to focus this morning for the next few minutes on this first title or name that Isaiah gives us describing this child, this son. And we're going to do that by asking and answering, or at least beginning to answer, three questions. Why do we need counseling? Who is our counselor? And finally, what is the uniqueness of his counseling? Well, why do we need counseling? In a word, because we're human. You know the grace and peace postcard? To be human is what? To worship, right? To be human is to worship. Well, we need a postcard version too, don't we? To be human is to need counseling. Think about before the fall of man, before the fall of man into sin. It's a perfect world. And yet, even in that world, humans, man and woman, needed counsel from God. They had to have a word from outside of them. They walked with their counselor. Relationships were ideal. It was perfect advice in a perfect world. But yet, there comes the fall in, of man into sin. And so life both outside of us as well as life inside of us isn't right. It's broken. And if we're all silent enough, and if we all take the time to think about it, we acknowledge that's exactly what's happened. So it's, we need counseling because we're human, but we need counseling because of the world in which we live, the world where life doesn't work the way it should, and we all know it. We sin against people, and other people sin against us. Not only that, we are just living in a sinful and fallen world where things don't right, work right. Relationships are hard, jobs are lost, finances are tight, there are demands from others and expectations from ourselves, sickness and death are realities of our world. In this fallen world in which all of us live, where do we find ourselves? I think we find ourselves either in a crisis, coming out of a crisis, or going into a crisis. With that in mind, ask yourself right now, where are you today? Are you in a crisis? Are you coming out of a crisis? Or are you heading into a crisis? 
We all know two things. Something's wrong, but we also know there's got to be a solution somewhere. We long for things to be made right, and I believe God has hardwired all of us to find that solution in a king, someone or something that is sovereign over us and benevolent toward us. And so we have, as we see in this passage, the promise of a redeemer, that promise made all the way back in Genesis 3.15, the one who is to come, and we sang a moment ago, come thou long expected Jesus, come to earth to taste our sadness. Jesus comes to redeem, to get us back toward, and indeed eventually to that perfect reality. We know more than Isaiah did. Isaiah knew in part and we know in full. He knew in promise and we know in fulfillment, partial now and one day complete. Well, what did Isaiah have in mind when he wrote of this wonderful counselor? What did he mean? Let's ask that second question. Who is our counselor? And we see in verse 6, this, this child who's born, a son who's given, and the government shall be upon his shoulders. The king is our counselor. And what kind of counselor is he? A wonderful counselor. A supernatural. That word wonderful can be best understood as supernatural, out of the ordinary, exceptional, beyond that which is merely human. And it's a wonderful counselor able to make wise plans. In this day and age, in the ancient Near East in which Isaiah lived, there were advisors to the king, counselors to the king. Someone brought alongside the king because the wise king knew what he lacked. And he was confident enough to surround himself with trusted advisors. A counselor would be like a president's cabinet. And before you had the secretary of defense, you had the secretary of war who advised the president on how to wage war. Those of you that have been reading Table Talk this month in a Rosaria Butterfield's um, um, article, at the end of her first paragraph, she says this, we are in a war and the sooner we realize it, the better. A war? Really? Us? Well, our very own confession of faith, the Westminster Confession of Faith of sanctification, speaks of all of us being in a continual and irreconcilable war. The king's counselor, the king's advisor. Here, the king is called the wonderful counselor. Well, let's look at this passage briefly from both an Old Testament and a New Testament lens. Perfect wisdom, the wisdom we see in Proverbs, is here. We, we read in Matthew 12 where something greater than Solomon is here in speaking of Jesus. And it's perfect knowledge. We read of, uh, in Psalm 139 that such knowledge that God has of us is too wonderful for us. And we see this wisdom and knowledge being put into practice as Jesus meets the Samaritan woman at the well in John 4. He knows her. He knows what is best. 
He speaks truth. In Isaiah, we have the promise of this wonderful counselor to come. And in the New Testament, with the first advent, we have the reality or the fulfillment of this wonderful counselor who has come. And we have the promise of the return of this wonderful counselor. Well, think with me for a moment about the counseling ministry of Jesus, his wisdom and knowledge. Earlier, Ryan read that verse from Isaiah 28, 29, speaking of the Lord being wonderful in counsel and excellent in wisdom. And we see Jesus saying, I am that one as he reveals himself. Jesus knew what to say to reveal the motives of his listeners. He knew what to say in each and every situation. All throughout the New Testament, we see that Jesus knows infinitely. Jesus has got the big picture always in mind, but he also knows intimately. He knows the hidden details of life. And if you meet someone who knows the big picture, but also can focus on the details, that... that, That is a good friend to have. That is a good counselor to have. But that kind of knowledge, isn't it? It's both convicting and comforting. Jesus went around counseling, speaking the truth. And it brings up this question or this statement. You and I are always being counseled. Someone is speaking into our lives. Is it the world and the world's ways and the world's wisdom, as we heard about in 1 Corinthians 1? Or is it God's ways and wisdom found in His Word, His written Word, His living Word? Where are you going for counseling today? The world or the Word? Okay, we all need counseling. And Isaiah is looking ahead to this coming Messiah, this Christ, the King, this wonderful Counselor. The Gospels reveal this Counselor. The letters explain this Counselor, this King, who has come and is coming again. In other words, this King with two advents. Well, let's take a look now at the King's Counseling. What is the uniqueness of His Counseling? Let's go from the abstract to the personal. Notice I did not write what is the uniqueness of this counseling, but rather his counseling. For you see, the focus is not so much on the counseling as it is on the counselor. Think with me about the uniqueness of his counseling, this counseling relationship. Do you know what? In nearly all, actually in every counseling relationship except for one, in order to help, what has to happen? The counselor has to get to know the person being counseled, right? You're in a counseling situation. The counselor has got to get to know you, right? But guess what? With Jesus, he doesn't need to get to know us. Rather, in this counseling relationship, we've got to get to know Him. In this relationship, it's the job of the person being counseled to get to know the counselor. Every other counseling relationship is the exact opposite. And what happens 
as we get to know the one who knows us completely, what happens? Our idols are exposed and our idols are smashed. Because in the presence of Jesus, our idols, what we are looking to for security and satisfaction, they get seen for what they are. Weak, um, unable, evil, leading to death. But not only are they exposed, they are smashed as Jesus spends time with us. As the counselor, Jesus asks the penetrating diagnostic questions whose answer reveals our real functional God. Martin Luther said this one time, whatever your heart clings to or confides in, that is your God. With that definition right now, ask yourself, who is your God? You have your confessional God, my professional God, who I profess and confess, but who is your functional God right now? Who are you clinging to? Your reputation, your bank account, what people think of you, um, uh, what are you clinging to? And what are you confiding in? Where do you go to share your deepest secrets, your deepest thoughts? Where do you go? And how do you get to know this Jesus, this wonderful counselor? Primarily through the means of grace, the word, the sacraments, and prayer. In the context of being with God's people, the church. Worship on the Lord's Day. Did you know that that's what we're doing this morning? We're getting to know the wonderful counselor, the one who knows us. Jesus, in other words, is the incarnation of counseling. It's counseling in the flesh. And as counselor, Jesus is wonderful in his knowledge. He knows you. He knows you as the good shepherd knows the sheep. And how does the good shepherd treat the sheep? Does he cast the sheep out? No. He goes after the sheep. He rescues the sheep. He feeds and protects and leads and cares for the sheep. He is compassionate. He is wonderful in his compassion. Jesus has empathy that you and I don't even, can't even touch. He truly does know and understand you. Um, have you ever been in situations where you're talking to someone and they go, You don't understand. You don't understand. My friends, Jesus understands. He, he was tempted in every way as we are, but without sin. He's wonderful in his compassion. He's wonderful in his presence. This counselor is not found by going to an office once a week. He is with you now by his Holy Spirit. He's wonderful in his knowledge, in his compassion, in his presence, and in his power. He gives you and me everything that we need for life and godliness. He gives us himself. Who's counseling you? Where are you seeking guidance and wisdom? Are you looking in the mirror and seeking it there? Are you looking to God through his word, asking him by the power of his spirit to give you not only information that you need, but a new and growing desire to put that information into practice? Well, we've asked the why, the who, 
and the what. Let's finish with the so what. So what? We've got a wonderful counselor, don't we? But we as his people are called to counsel others. And how fundamentally and simply do we counsel one another? We point one another to the wonderful counselor. That's why we need one another in the church. You know, in our series in Mark, we've been trying to uh, get a biblical understanding of who Jesus is, why he came, how we should respond. All of us have a messed up view of Jesus in and of ourselves. Why? Because we each have personal backgrounds and experiences that skew us. For someone who has had an absent father, then we're going to have a harder time understanding Jesus as that everlasting father. As If we got um, uh, somebody broke a promise, we're going to have a hard time trusting Jesus as the one who never breaks his promises. But... With all of us together, we grow in our understanding of who the biblical, who the real Jesus is. We need one another. We're called to counsel one another by pointing each other to the wonderful counselor, Jesus. And we're also called to counsel ourselves. We're called to preach the gospel to ourselves. Martin Lloyd-Jones in his magnificent book, Spiritual Depression, said that we are not to listen to ourselves but we are to talk to ourselves. We are to remind ourselves what we already know. And so first and foremost is this call to get to know our counselor. For in getting to know our counselor, we receive all the counsel that we will ever need for ourselves and for others. Well, let's go back now to where we began. With Jesus as our counselor, Because Isaiah is looking forward to Jesus. And this passage, although some scholars may try to say, oh, no way are they talking about Jesus, it's absolutely talking about Jesus. With Jesus as your counselor, your one supreme counselor in your life, you will indeed live a wonderful life because your life will be filled with the wonder of God's grace and his mercy. Those and only those who know this wonderful counselor can truly have what could be considered a wonderful life, a life full of peace, purpose, and the presence of God. Brothers and sisters, congregation of the Lord Jesus Christ, get to know this one. Get to know Jesus, this wonderful counselor. Amen. Almighty God, our Heavenly Father, we thank you for giving us a growing understanding of who our Savior and Lord is. We thank you, Father, that your that the Old Testament looked forward to the coming of our Savior, our Messiah. And we thank you, Father, that in Christ is all the wisdom that we would ever need, for he is wisdom. Oh, Father, would you create in us a growing hunger to sit at his feet in the company of one another, listening to this wonderful counselor. Father, thank you for providing all that your people need from now into eternity. 
For we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.